Hello, everybody, and welcome to Omnipleasant Offerings, the podcast that's dedicated to the splendor of spiritual living. I am your host, Brother Maurice Malcolm Johnson. Thank you so much for joining me today, and let's get right into the show. Today on the show, we'll be continuing in our study of Bible history with our lecturer, Mr. Richard Rogers. Sit back and enjoy. In our second lesson of the history of the Hebrew family, we're in a period called the prologue, and we'll look today at Genesis 1 to 3. It's the story of creation, but it's more than that. It's also the story of the fall. Let's, put, let's look first of all in chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 3, at the creation of the cosmos. I know it's a rather long reading, but we need to read this, because this is the beginning of all things, and the place to start any discussion is always at the beginning. Notice verse 1. In the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was brooding, was hovering over the waters, anxious to bring order. And God said, now this will be redundant. This will be said again and again and again. Because creation is by God's spoken word. It's creation by fiat, by commandment. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now, we would say there was day and night. There was morning and evening. But the Hebrew day started at 6 o'clock in the afternoon and ended the next day at 6 o'clock in the afternoon. So this, this is a Hebrew day. This is not God's day that could be a 1,000 years. This is the Hebrew day that was 24 hours. There was evening, 12 hours. There was morning, 12 hours, the first day. These are 24-hour days. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it, and it was so. God called the expanse sky. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. God, God called the dry ground land. And, he get, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land with that bare fruit with seed in it. Notice the fruit was created with the seed already in it. And it was so. 
The land produced vegetations, plants bearing seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let the lights in the expanse of the sky, let there be light, excuse me, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. Let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. It was so. God made two great lights. The greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God, notice there's already light. Now he's making light bearers. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth uh, across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living and moving thing with which the waters teem according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters in the sea and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kind, livestock and creatures that move across the ground, along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. It was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Notice they were made in their kinds, not involved into their kinds. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, that is the male and the female. And said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over every created creature, every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They'll be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all he had made. And it was very good. And there was evening. And there was morning. The sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So in the seventh day, he rested from all his work of creation. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he'd done. This is the account of heaven and earth when they were created. Now, I know that was a long reading, but what a comprehensive. 
I mean, everything that now exists on earth existed on earth the first day. Have you thought about what that section of Scripture that we just read refutes? It refutes every attempt of man to explain how things got here. It says matter isn't eternal. So it refutes the idea of the eternity of matter. What is here hasn't always been here. God is the only one that's always been here. In the beginning, God created. There was a beginning. But before there was a beginning, there was a God. It also refutes the idea of polytheism because it says God created, not God's. It refutes the idea of agnosticism, that is, that there's no plan, that, that this is just a, uh, a senseless uh, globe spinning with senseless people upon it because this creation was planned. It was not uncaused. It refutes fatalism because, which says things happen because they happen. It's just our fate, kismet. That's not true because here we have God's will and God's purpose and God's progression expressed in creation. It, it refutes pantheism, which says all things are God and God is all things because God existed before anything else existed. By the way, it refutes evolution because this says, this says all things that exist exist because in six days God made them. They are created. There is a theory called the Big Bang Theory, and I'm not opposed to that theory if we let it be God being the banger and it banging for six days because God created in six days. I want you to even notice the order. He created he created the heaven. Uh, let me start that all over again. He created the, the uh, heavens and the earth. And then he created the things that live on the heaven and the earth. Each first three days, he created the things that will be occupied by the things on the second three days. It would be good for you to look at in your own private study. And they're on the outline that you possess. We need to hurry on to another idea, though. That is the advent of mankind. We read a little bit about man's coming. But if you'll reread starting in chapter 2, verse 4, and read through verse 25 in chapter 2, you'll find that that creation of man that occurred sometime during the sixth day is given an expanded, interp uh, an expanded reading, an expanded discussion. Let's, let's read this. I know it's a long reading. But a lot of our study in days to come come right out of this as foundation. This is beginning. And we need to begin well if we're going to have a well-traveled journey. Chapter 2, verse 4, all the way through the end of chapter 2. We'll stop and discuss as we go. Verses 1 to 7 is the production of man. This is the account of the heaven and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heaven, no shrub of the field had yet appeared, no plant had yet sprung up. The Lord had not sent rain on the earth. There was no man to work it. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Verse 7. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. I've tried to imagine that. God reaching down and farming and breathing, and there stood before God, naked in all of his innocence, tall in all of his strident glory. The image of God stood there. The one that is going to control and subdue all that God had created. The intimate friend of God. 
And the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man that he'd formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of, knowledge, of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and from there it divided and had four head streams. The name of the first is Pishon. It winds through the whole land of Havilah, where there's gold. The name of the second was Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. That's Ethiopia. The land of the third river was Tigris. It was along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. That's his provision for man. He gives man the work to do. Also probation. Because with work comes the responsibility of doing the work. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. In the probation, he was allowed the maximum and forbidden only the minimum. The Lord God said in verse 18, here's the progression of man as he's going to progress to be a reproductive thing. The Lord God said it is not good. That's the only time that God looked at the creation and said it was not good. It is not good for the man to be alone. He didn't say man wasn't good. He just said it wasn't good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Wasn't Adam intelligent? So the, man, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Why'd God do this? To teach man that there's nothing in the lower creation that meets the need of his heart. Oh, they're good creatures. They're lovely creatures. They're good creatures, but they are to be subdued by man. They're not to be partners with man. Man is to take none of them as his helper, as his slaves, yes, as his servants, yes, co-workers, yes, but not that helper that's suited from him. So man now knows that nothing in all of God's creation meets the unanswered ache of his heart. So God must meet that need, and he does, beginning in verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken from the man, and he brought her to man. Why did he do that? The man knew why he did that. The man said in verse 23, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, which means from man, because she was taken out of man. This is the only time that anything came from the womb, quote Mark, from the womb of man. Woman is from the womb of man. He, she came from inside of man. He didn't take her from his head so she'd rule over him or he'd rule over her. He didn't take her from his feet so that, you know, he'd stomp on her and 
and be her Lord. But he took her from his side where she will always walk and be that co-helper, that help meet, that helper that is suited for him. Now God says for this reason, because this is bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they'll become one flesh. Well, I like the old version which says he will leave and he will cleave because it rhymes. He'll leave his father and mother and he'll cleave to his wife and they'll be one flesh. That's united in their heart and soul. There's a mystery in that that I will never understand, Paul said in Ephesians 5. But there's a joy in it that I fully appreciate. The man and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. Why? They're innocent. And innocence feels no shame. Have you ever seen a little bitty boy or girl get out of the bathtub and run through the house without any clothes on at all? They'd run outside. If the Lord Christ was there, they'd run jump in his lap and kiss him. They have absolutely no shame because they're totally innocent. I wish that I was that way. I wish I didn't know what I know about sin. And God didn't want Adam and Eve to know it. There was a tree there called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Until they eat of that tree, they will be innocent. Oh, they'll know it's wrong not to keep the garden, and they would know it's wrong not to eat, to eat of that tree, but they won't do that because they will live in innocence before God. Man has a fourfold dominion in what we've read. He has dominion over the universe, or fourfold assignment, really. He has dominion over the universe, multiplication of species, subjugation of the creation, and cultivation of the earth. He is Lord. Not Lord of heaven and earth, but he's Lord of earth. He is to keep it for God. In chapter 3, and we're not going to read all of this one. This is a very, interesting, a very uh, known scripture. In chapter 3, Satan comes into the garden in the form of a serpent. He approaches the woman. Why approaches the woman? I think I know. Because her emotionality is going to be more uh, susceptible to his temptation, and she holds the key of getting to the man. Adam, he says to the woman, God has said you can't eat of any tree of the garden. He knows better than that. She said, oh, no, you're wrong. We can eat of any tree we want to. The only tree we can't eat of is this one. Why doesn't God want you to eat that one? I know, Satan said. God knows that when you eat that tree, you're going to be like him, and he's jealous of what he knows. And he doesn't want you to eat that tree because he doesn't want you to be like him. Not so. But she believes it. She looks then upon the tree. Doesn't mean she hadn't glanced at it before. This time she looks at it closely. She stares at it. She contemplates the tree. She sees it's good for food. That it's a delight to the eyes. It's beautiful. And it's desired to make one wise. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. She took the tree and ate it. She gave to the man that was with her. Adam was standing there through this whole thing. She gave to the man that was with her. He took of the tree. He ate it. Now both of their eyes are open and they see that they're naked. They've been naked for a while. But they were innocent up till now. 
Now that they know good and evil, they see the evil. They see nakedness. They see the evil of nakedness. So they take fig leaves and they try to cover themselves. They can't do an adequate job of covering themselves. Man can't do an, a sinful man can't do an adequate job of anything. God comes, as his custom was, into the garden in the cool of the evening. And he said, Adam, where are you? He wasn't asking for information. The eyes of Jehovah, the book of Proverbs says, the eyes of Jehovah are everywhere, keeping watch on the evil and the good. He knew where Adam was. He wanted Adam to know where he was. If Adam had been honest, he'd said, in sin, because that's really where he was. Finally, God gets the three of them in front of him. And he begins with Adam. And he says, what have you done? And Adam says, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. I used to think he's blaming the woman. I really think he's blaming God. The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. He turns to the woman. And the woman says, the serpent you made to be most subtle of all the beasts of the field has tempted me. I think she's blaming God. He doesn't even give Satan an opportunity to answer. But he says in 3.15, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, between your seed, that's evil people, and her seed, that's good people, but primarily one, good man. He, masculine gender, singular number, he will bruise your head. You will bruise his heel. In our next lesson, We'll see that that not only tells the story of all the Old Testament, we'll see that that seed is Christ. And so he tells Satan that from now on you will be cursed and in struggle with good people. He tells the woman, I will greatly increase your pain in childbearing to remind you of your fall in the, in the garden. And to the man he says, where used to there were no weeds nor no one to oppose the growing of good things from now on you'll make your bread with the sweat of your brow i'll call weed i'll cause weeds and briars to spring up and your labor will be in, in bitter pain and you will you will rest from a reluctant earth a meager living in the sweat of your brow you will eat your bread and then god made for them skins clothes out of the skins of animals to cover their nakedness and cast them from the garden and put cherubim at the gate with, flame, with blazing swords in their hand to keep them from coming back into the garden lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. Now that was judgment, but it's more than judgment. It was also mercy. Now, on your outline, there's a pretty good discussion of what I just told the story of in chapter 3. I think there's a good lesson as I look at the devil's wiles the, the devil's tricks with a woman introduced doubt into her mind with the statement that God does not want her to know what God knows. He ignored the covenant or tried to get her to ignore the covenant that she and Adam had made with God. He denied that there was any connection between sin and punishment because he says in that day you eat that tree you'll not die. He challenged the divine veracity. He says God knows better than to tell you you're going to die. He charged God with jealousy saying God didn't want man to acquire the knowledge that only God had and he appealed to the pride and the ambition of the woman to be knowledgeable as God is knowledgeable. The Satan is still using those 
wily ways against people today as he tries to get them to see that there are tries to get them to believe that God is not interested in satisfying their their human fleshly needs and desires that that they need the things that are beautiful and attractive to them and that they need to have the intelligence to rule other people and to rule the world as only God should rule the world. The woman's downfall was simply because she let herself be tricked into an unguarded conversation and she never talked to God. Whenever you're tempted, talk to God. Listen to Him in His Word and talk to Him in prayer and you will not fall. But when, man, when woman fell, when Eve fell, there was a twofold consequence to that. She had the pain of childbearing, and she would seek from then on to be in control of the situation and in control of man. Now, when man fell, there was a fourfold result. Number one was the loss of innocence. They knew they were naked. Number two was shame. They attempted to cover the, the result of their sin. Then was fear as they hid from God where used to they walked and talked with them. And finally was death, the separation from the tree of life and spiritual death. And we see the Lord God twice manifested in what we studied in chapter 3 or read from chapter 3. He's manifested in judgment as he came and sought the guilty pair. He's manifested in judgment as he spoke to the guilty pair and made them admit to sin they were involved in. And he's manifested in judgment when he sentenced all that were involved. He sentenced the serpent to be crushed, woman to suffer, and man to sweat, man to work all of his life in toil. But then he's also manifested in grace. Redemption is really the key in chapter 3, and the rest of the Bible will tell the story chapter 3 introduces. Redemption is promised here. And there are two seed lines promised, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And victory is promised to the seed of the woman. And redemption is apprehended here because Adam names his wife Eve, which means the mother of all living. He knows that from her will come the one that is to win the battle. And then redemption is typified as God has to kill animals to make uh, uh, clothes from their skins to forecast and to typify the fact that one day the animal of God, the lamb of God will die, that all men might be covered in their sin. And redemption, now here's the thing that's sometimes hard to see. Redemption is made possible by the death and life cycle. If Adam and Eve hadn't died, there'd be no Christ. And if all the other men had not died, lived and died and had children, there'd be no Christ. The life and death cycle makes redemption possible. But promised here is something I want us to discuss for a whole lesson next time. That is the struggle between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. I am the seed of the woman. You are the seed of the woman. We are interested in knowing how and where and why we win in the battle for our souls. I can hardly wait to discuss the seed of the serpent being bruised by the seat of the woman. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of OmniPleasant Offerings. I do hope that you enjoyed the show and that you'll join us next time. Until then, 
This is your host, Maurice Malcolm Johnson, saying bye for now, and may God richly bless you.